since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, welcome back. Happy Monday. Ooh, am I excited for this episode? Today we have Stephanie Wilder Taylor. She made a name for herself as a champion of the mom's right to booze. So, yes, she was into mommy wine culture just as I was before I stopped drinking. And then she got sober. She wrote a couple of books while she was drinking, including Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay and Nap Time is the New Happy Hour. We talk about that. We talk about the pivot and um, we talk all about her story to sobriety and her new book, Drunkish, Loving and Leaving Alcohol. It's on sale January 16th. You can pre-order it now. The link is in the show notes. Wow, do I love this book. I 
absolutely love this book. I love this conversation with Stephanie. She's so inspiring, so just wise, and her insights will help you whether you are new to sobriety, whether you have a couple years under your belt. You're going to love this episode. Also, guys, I have some very exciting news. We launched our mocktail ebook, No Ethanol Needed Mocktails. It's ready to go. Click on the link to buy in the show notes. I'm just so excited. It's 21 of my favorite mocktails that I've made and created for you. You guys are always asking me for my favorites and like what to drink when we decide to kick the booze. And this is what I drink. Whether you like sweet, spicy, sour, whatever, there's something for you. I'm just so excited. It really was a labor of love. Thank you to Audrey for helping me put it all together and create it and get it out into the world. So get that at the link in the bio. Come and join the Sober Mom Life Cafe. That's at the link in the bio. And just, you know, share the episode. I have a lot of requests today. I'm sorry, but I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. Stephanie, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Okay, I want to talk about your new book. So when does it come out? Drunkish, Loving, and Leaving Alcohol. Yes, it comes out on January 16th. It's almost out. Pre-order it now. I just told you, I am like almost all of the way through because I couldn't put it down. And uh, I blame the kids that I didn't finish it yet. Oh man, I can't wait to get into it. Why don't we talk a a little bit about, even though the book is your story, but just kind of an overview. I know most people probably know you from your other books, which are different than this one, right? Well, you know, thematically, (laughs) they're all honest, right? They're all like my unfiltered, honest thoughts about what I'm going through. But yes, some people mistakenly think that sippy cups are not for Chardonnay is like an against drinking book or about sobriety, but au contraire. (laughs) Right. right. It's not right. And I actually first, Casey Davidson, who Uh I know you've been on her part and she loves you. Right. And so she talks about you all the time and I'm friends with her. And she was like, no, I like red sippy cups are not for Chardonnay. And I was thinking like, oh, that's, that's good. And she was like, and so I was full into mommy wine culture. I was like, Oh, okay. And then when you stopped drinking, she that really like helped her be like, oh, wait a second. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I did not know that not every mom drinks the way I did. I just thought like, yeah. this is what we do. Like we have kids. It makes us crazy and anxious and fearful. And am I good enough? And like having some yeah. wine makes those feelings go away or it tamps them down, give you back those moments where you're like, I feel edgy and fun and a little bit like my old self. And like being a mom doesn't have to completely drag down like my whole identity. I don't have to be just a mom. Like, look at me. Yes. I mean, it's the existential crisis, right? Like becoming a mom. I remember being like, no, like I'm not getting a minivan. I am not like cutting my hair short. I am still going to wear combat boots. Like there were just these things that I like couldn't lose myself to. And I think drinking falls into that category of like, oh no, wait, look, I can still hang. Like I can still do this. I know I fell into that. The thing that I discovered is that it just makes you not care about anything. 
Well, and if you start out at this level of anxiety that you haven't felt before, like I think for yes. me, I'd always felt some level of anxiety. And I, I don't know that I would have even called it anxiety, like an uncomfortability with myself and a nervousness all the time, right? I didn't know that it's anxiety, an obsessive mind. I just thought like, oh, I'm just less comfortable than other people. Like each new thing that I have to do is harder for me. I mean, even going all the way back, like first time I kissed a guy, I was so scared of it. You know, I had other friends that were just like, yeah, let's go, you know, let's jumping into like sex and all. And I was scared of each thing terrified me right? The unknown. How's this going to feel? What's this going to be like? Am I going to look stupid? Am I going to feel stupid? I wanted to try stand-up comedy. I know I talk about this in the book, but like years before I actually tried stand-up and I know many other comedians that were like, I think I want to try stand-up. The next day they're signing up at an open mic night. I was like, how do other people's minds work? Okay, so so you do talk about this in the book. You talk about like using alcohol to help you be comfortable, you know, having sex and hooking up and yes, doing stand up. And like the idea to me of doing stand up is like it's like a worst nightmare and you kind of use that you're like no, I'm I'm like badass because that's what most people are most afraid of is public speaking and so yeah, no, I'm doing that. It was kind of like in your pro column of like is alcohol getting in your way and it's like no, alcohol's not getting in my way. Alcohol's like making me have wings and do these things that most people are so afraid of. Yes, yes, for years I did. Yes. I patted myself on the back. I'm like, look at me trying these things look at me doing this. And so alcohol helped me. What's the problem? Right. But I didn't understand that not everybody feels that level of anxiety and not everybody treats their anxiety the same way that I treated anxiety. So when I had a kid and felt just scared all the time, like, and it was also chemical right? It wasn't, it wasn't just, oh my God, my life has changed. This is hard. Babies don't come with a manual and all that. It was next level. It was my whole body felt fear all the time. I was so scared that my daughter was going to like stop breathing for no reason. Like, but it was constant worry and it was debilitating and paralyzing. And so, you know, a little extra Vicodin from my C-section, like, oh, that feels good. It's like, oh, ha- having wine. Look, the truth is I always had a dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, but I did not really truly acknowledge that. There were definitely times where I was like, I don't know if I drink like other people, but I could always convince myself I did. And even like you trying to kind of quit drinking in high school and your friends were like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't know there's a party coming up on Saturday. There's no way you're not drinking. And you're like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. But you already were like noticing your relationship with alcohol, which I don't think many people probably even people who don't have great relationships with alcohol, which I think is more common than we think, at least that's what I'm figuring out from all of the women that I talk to, is that no, actually, like having a healthy relationship with this very unhealthy substance is pretty rare. But even the fact that you were looking at that in high school, you were pretty aware and then, right, and then alcohol does its thing and then you're like, oh, but there are many reasons why it's not a problem. There will always be those reasons that you can find. I think also 
and I think this is true for a lot of women, this high bottom thing, this like, it's not that bad. You know, it's hard if you're not seeing a thing in your life that's like, oh, I got a DUI. This happened, that happened. Like, and of course there are even people that get DUIs that are like, well, okay, but that's a fluke. Of course we can all do that. But especially if nothing like that has happened to you. So it's all internal. It's like, oh my gosh, I get the worst hangovers. But it's hard to really understand that alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol has a rebound effect. You can feel more anxious. Like all we know is like, I don't feel very good. I'm unhappy. I feel anxiety. And wine seems to be working. Right. right? So what's the impetus for any of us to go? It takes a lot to go this is actually not helping me. You think it's helping you. And because we're told it is. We're told by mommy wine culture, scroll on Instagram, Molly Sims, right? I always call her out. It's fine. That this thing is essential. It's not optional. It's essential for motherhood. Moms need wine to get through motherhood. And I thought that just like me you too. thought that. And then I wrote a book about it. Right. Which is so – I always think, you know, because I've been an influencer, even though I hate that term, but whatever, since my first was a baby. And I worked for Kettle One. You know, I had a campaign with them. And when they launched their botanics and it was like, oh, no, this is the girly vodka, you guys. This is the good stuff because it's made with – it's got flowers on the bottle. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they paid me. And so – I look at that and it's kind of like you, like we were both the victim and the perpetrator when it comes to mommy wine culture. Yeah. I really and truly thought at the time it was not calculated in the least. You know, I'd I'd been like a TV writer. I have this baby. I feel incredibly isolated. I didn't have friends that were having babies and I was having, doing it a little later in life. And I'd had this really specific career that was uh, very male dominated, you know, in a lot of writer's rooms with guys, I just wasn't around a lot of female energy. And in my mind, I think I did think I don't really relate to moms before I even had a baby. I I already had a thing where I was like, I don't relate to that. I don't want a minivan. I don't, I don't go shopping at baby gap and I would never look at a onesie and go, that's so cute. I didn't go to people's baby showers and go, oh, I can't wait till I have a baby. My thing was You got fired from your babysitting job too. I I had one babysitting job and I broke the mobile thing or whatever Uh it's called that goes above the crib. I broke it and I just like didn't ever go back. I didn't tell them. It reminded me like your story where it's just like the shame of like, okay, I just can't look at that. I ate all their Easter candy. (laughs) All I knew really is that I didn't not want to be a mom. I kind of like the idea of being someone's mom and having a redo of like my childhood. And I wanted, I saw myself as like, I'm going to be a fun mom and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the mom that I didn't have. And then I have a kid and I just had no idea. I didn't, I didn't go to childbirthing classes. I didn't go to any parenting. I was just like, yeah, you figure it out, right? Like breastfeeding, like it seems pretty natural. Like, yeah, like people do it for centuries. Yeah. Right. It was just such a perfect storm for me of things going wrong, a lot of unknown, a lot of sudden responsibility where I'd led a life where I didn't have a lot of responsibility. You know, I didn't have my kid till I was 37 or 38. And I had been working at fun writing jobs. All of a sudden I've got this like weight of, 
I have to be with this baby 24 seven. My husband had gone back to work. So that anxiety was something brand new to me. And the thing that helped me right from the beginning was this mommy blogging and bonding with these other women online. And what were we all doing? Drinking. I had no clue that that was not what everybody, you know what I mean? I just thought this is what everybody does. I wasn't exposed to a lot of like local moms. And in fact, when I was, a lot of those moms did not drink very much. So what did I do? I stuck with the ones online, you know, that confirmation bias. I'm like, we're all doing it on the internet. That must mean that like the people that aren't doing it are the odd ones out. Right. Like I'm, I'm not going to feel like alone and and shamed and everything like that because that's really hard to feel. It's the same like in college why I hung out with the partiers or like in my 20s, right? And then it's like, right. oh, well, if, if you drink like I do, great. Okay. Nothing to see here. And this idea of the high bottom too, I think you're so right. You mentioned Meg Ryan in When a Man Loves a Woman. And that's always like what I thought of, you know, And it's like when it's very clear, like she's falling through a shower door, like, oh, wow, like there's like something tangible there that you can say, okay, well, yes, this is very obviously affecting you. But I think this idea that if we haven't lost it all to alcohol, that we haven't lost anything, it's just wrong. I think if alcohol has been consistently in your life, you've lost things to it. It's so hard to know that though, until you give up alcohol yes, and real yes. and get some of those things back. Like I drank because I didn't want to feel present. You know, I wanted to numb feeling present made me anxious and made me think of all the ways that I'm not doing it right. So feeling a little numb made me feel like, okay, maybe this isn't so bad. So the last thing I wanted to do was give up the thing that I thought was making me feel better. Yes. I mean, let's be honest, it took me a couple of years of relearning how to feel present and how to go through those kinds of emotions and how to deal with fear and how to deal with uncertainty and and how to not reach for a drink to make it feel better. Yes, totally. And even before that, I love, you know, we talk on here a lot about moderation. I always consider just trying to moderate a highly addictive substance, I think, is hell on earth. I'm in it right now with sugar. Like, I've just been like, okay, fine, fine, I give up. Like, I can't moderate sugar. Like, okay, fine. And like what Annie Gray says, like 99% is a bitch, 100% is a breeze, right? It's that 99% and all of the rules. And you share this in the book too. I love all of the rules that you make. And you even go out and like, you're like, okay, I'm going to get like this fancy journal and it's going to be like, what is it? Your alcohol agenda or something. Yeah. My alcohol agenda. Yes. And you're like, if it's fancy, I'm going to like respect it. And it's your your (laughs) business, right? (laughs) Like, of course. And I think if you've been in this moderation part where it's like, I just drink, didn't drink enough water. I didn't eat enough. Like, oh, it was hard liquor. Oh, you know, beer is better. Everyone knows that. If you've been in that moderation hell of trying to control alcohol, like you know exactly what that feels like. Well, the thing about moderation is that if you're at the point where you're like, I'm really going to try harder to moderate, then you're probably unable to moderate. It's this thing where you're like, people that don't need to quit drinking also don't need to moderate. Like, I don't know any of my friends that don't have a problem with 
alcohol that are actively trying to moderate their drinking. Because like you said, it's just very, very hard to do. It takes up so much more room in your brain. And also, I mean, like, let's talk about moderation management. So there's this thing called moderation management that was started by this woman who was like, I think that we don't have to be so hard on ourselves. And like, why are people trying to quit drinking? Like, let's just be really more mindful of our drinking. And it's just a very tragic story. I mean, I think it was proven to her, you know, eventually she drank too much and she got into a car accident and killed two people. So, and she went to jail and she got out of jail and then she took her life. Yeah. It's not a good story. So when people mention like, but what about moderation management? It's like, well, okay, but I don't know if that has the best outcome. Like, of course people are going to try to moderate. There's nothing wrong with trying to moderate. It's like an essential step, I think, for a lot of women to get to the point where you're just so sick and tired of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I tried the moderation thing for years. Yeah, same. And then you have these times where you'd have like, for me, it would be like, oh, well, last night I had two glasses of wine. I mean, hello, kind of a moderation hero, like right here. Yeah. Like where's my trophy? That's why it's hard is because sometimes it works. Like Uh that's why moderation is hard is because sometimes it works. And like you just never know when it's going to be the time that it doesn't. You compare it to roulette and like you're betting on double zero. I don't really know roulette, but that sounds like not a great bet. It's not a good bet. There's like two green squares. There's zero and double zero. How often are you going to land on that? You guys don't do that. If you're going to (laughs) Vegas this weekend, don't bet on double zero. Do red or black at least. Give yourself somewhat of a better chance. Don't bet on I'm going to take notes. Red or black always. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. I'm just excited to talk about this book. You guys, I love it. It reminds me of like... Maybe Drinking a Love Story. Ooh, that's one of my favorite books. Same. So that's huge. I think I just fell in love with you a little I bit. <laughs> no, but it is. It's, it's got a lot of heart, but then you're also very irreverent and funny, which I know is what you're known for. And so that's in there too. And it's just so good, you guys. Well, I love Quitlet. I like a lot of those books. I like because I relate, you know, I mean, yeah. I've been sober a long time, so I've read a lot of books. Um, but Dry by Augustine Burroughs is one that so good. I read that book way before I got sober. And that was the first book that I was like, well, here's a really difficult topic. But I love how Augustine Burroughs is so sarcastic and edgy and, and he's in rehab and he's kind of making fun of stuff. But you also know that he's trying to get sober, you know? Right. So in my mind, I mean, like I said, I I wrote a lot about sobriety and I I wrote a, when I wrote about being becoming a mom, I didn't know that it was even taboo to say the things that I said in sippy cups, to say like I didn't fall in love with my baby at first sight. Like I didn't even know her. You know, all the things that were just accepted that when you're a mom, you're going to feel like this and you're going to love this part of it and you're going to and I didn't feel those some of those things and I talked about it and got a book deal. So and then even though a lot of people were like, you're a horrible person and you're so negative and you're, you sound like a terrible mom. I also got a lot of people saying, thank you for saying that you understand me. So when it, when I thought of like writing a book about getting sober, I was like, I don't want to write like an earnest book that's coming from the place of like 14 years later and all the gratitude I feel. And like, 
because that's not how I felt when I got right. sober. And I wanted yeah. to write a book for people that is honest, but also like we can have some fun with it. Yes. Quitting drinking is a serious thing, but but like, why can't we laugh about it like we laugh about other things in our lives? Totally. The whole joke of the book is making fun of myself for just the ridiculous amount of denial I was in. Yes. And that's so relatable. I mean, it's just so relatable. And the thing about like a, a woman just telling her truth about, you know, kind of kicking and screaming her way to sobriety, right? Which is kind of like what you, you were just like, no, nah, nope. Like going to AA first with your friend and you're like, well, that's not me. And like, no, like it's just so relatable. And the thing about telling the truth is it frees other people up to tell the truth because we all have this stuff happening. And if no one's talking about it, then people are just suffering and thinking that they're the only ones and that something is just inherently wrong with them. That's the problem with when we don't say like, yeah, you know, when I first felt my baby on my chest, I felt fucking terrified. And I felt like I wanted to be anywhere else because I did. My first thought was, how am I going to get you through sixth grade? I don't know why. I think probably because that was when I was bullied and it was just a horrible year. Mm -hmm. But I was, I felt the weight of like a sixth grader. Cause it's all there because the mom is like the biggest thing in your life. So you're like, if I screw this up, I'm completely responsible. Not only do I have to keep this thing alive, you know, and learn how to feed it and figure out, do I need to do attachment parenting or whatever? Not only that, I have to be like a positive influence and I have to be nurturing and I have to be there for my child and I have to make sure they don't need a ton of therapy, which spoiler alert, they will anyway. (laughs) They they totally will. You know, and I have three kids. You have three kids too, right? You have an older and then twins. Mm -hmm. How old are yours? So nine, six, and four. Okay. You still have littles. Yeah. And with my nine, I had horrible postpartum anxiety and OCD and intrusive thoughts and all of that stuff. And I just thought one wrong move, I screw her up for life. And like, I didn't understand at all the forgiving nature of motherhood. Like, I just thought it was all on me. It was like up to me to make sure everything went perfectly and not, not even like, you know, not picture perfect Instagram stuff, but just like that I read her enough books and that I like said enough words to her, her first, you know, month or whatever, all of that, like bullshit. I lost myself in it all. I read some book that was about like how you should always be having like a running narrative, like speaking to your baby. And I remember being at Trader Joe's and like talking to my older daughter, Elby, who's now 19, when she was like a little baby and going like, these are baby carrots. They're orange. (laughs) And I was like, oh God, I feel like such an asshole. And then I literally said to the pediatrician, I just feel a lot of pressure to be like constantly stimulating her. Like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? And he said, no. He's like, when you're taking a baby for a walk outside, they're getting stimulated. They're like looking at the tree that's stimulating for them. I was like, oh, so I don't have to constantly be talking (laughs) to her. He's like, no. (laughs) Good for you for having a great pediatrician. Very laid back. Oh, my first one was not at all, which was not what I needed. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, I'm like, if you're freaking out, I'm freaking out. It's just no wonder moms drink. 
Like all of this pressure and especially first-time moms, like all of this pressure and hormone imbalances and all of that, the anxiety that like you mattered 100% of the time, like one second before you gave birth. And now it's like from one second to the next. Now it's like, no, 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 it's not you anymore. Now it's this little thing, this little human. You're just the mom. Yeah, you're the mom. You're your kid's mom. I was immediately from the time that she was born and I brought her to her first like class thing, you know, my gym, whatever. I was Elby's mom. And I would get so mad. Yes. I was like, I have a name. It's Stephanie. Like I'm the actual person that used to be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, Right. Yeah. Like five minutes ago, I was like a whole person Uh and now I'm not. It's so interesting too. Like I still do that with my kids you know, like all of their classes, they have like a new classroom every year. And I don't know the mom's names. I only know the kid's name. And I'm like, oh, obviously that's, you know, to whoever's mom. And I'm like, oh shit, I need to learn the mom's name. Well, that's like we're on a need to know basis. I kind of understand that. I mean, that's true. That's your kid's friend. Okay, good. But I'm talking about like, let's say you go to the doctor's office with your kid. You're just your kid's mom. like, And that's just you adult to adult now, I, I I understand. I'm not trying to be like so hardcore no, about it. No, but, but it's know. a thing. It's an existential crisis. It it's just a weird is. adjustment. Like, it's a hard adjustment to make. It is. To like everything's about your kid, which it has to be. But it's very easy, especially if you're like us and you get all that anxiety. It's hard to just go back to your old life. Like my brain was consumed with thoughts of the baby. Just going to take a shower, it was like, I can't just go take a shower. What am I going to do with the baby? Like everything has to be like, if she's sleeping, I'm allowed to like take a shower. But even then I'd have the monitor right there. What if she starts crying while I'm taking a shower? And even if she's not crying, you're going to hear crying. (laughs) Like even when she's not crying, you're still going to hear crying. Like even now my kids will all be at school. I'll be taking a shower. And I'm like, someone's saying, mom, like I'm constantly on call. My kids are 16 and 19. Oh my God. It doesn't get better. You're telling me it's forever. But it gets so much different. (laughs) All of the things that I dealt with as a new mom, they morph into like, for me, because I was never like a baby person, they morph into the fun stuff, like sharing the books that you, you know, when you get to start reading the books that you liked as a kid or whatever, just the good ones, you know, when you start, when you start sharing stuff with your kids and when they, when you realize your kids have like a good sense of humor and like my kids are my friends, like I'm flying to New York for the book next week and my daughter is going to come with me. Oh, and it's more about just like actually enjoying spending time and, and like wanting to be loving with them. this. Yes, like liking the person that that she is. Yeah, yes. I love that. And a lot of it doesn't have to do with me. Like she's her completely her own person, and learning how to respect the fact that like okay, you did that, and now they're having their own experience, and they're they have their own friends, they have their own attitudes about life, and like you did what you could do, and now you're there to support them, and like. It's really rewarding in a way that I didn't know it would be at the beginning. Yeah, this gives me hope. I mean, I'm already kind of seeing it with my nine-year-old, like just hanging out with her and she makes like, she's got the funniest sense of humor and she's clever and she's saying these things, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh my God, you're just your own little person now, which is so fun to see. And I will say too, like, this is just mom talk. I took the path of like, 
swearing around my kids. And like, I don't want to say like, just try, I wasn't trying to be a cool mom, but I was like, you know what? But you're just cool. Well, I'm just, I'm fun. And like, maybe a little like was a stand up, And I was like, I'm just not going to get bogged down in like hardcore discipline or like, you know, I think my kids are going to learn morals and values just from being raised with a lot of love and like acceptance. I think that some people might've disagreed with my style of parenting, which was like, I let my um, younger daughter dye her hair pink when she was in, you know, first grade. Okay. I love this because my, my nine-year-old had purple hair a year and a half ago and she's got like two ear piercings that I'm like, okay, sure. If that's, if that's your jam, do it. Yeah. That's how I have always felt. And each time I'd be like, oh, should I be letting her do that? And I would check in with like another mom that agreed, you know, like my um, younger daughter, the one with the pink hair in first grade also wanted her nose pierced at 14. So in my mind, I had these arbitrary, like, well, that doesn't seem like something you should do until you're 16, at least, you know? And then I would question myself, like, she's such a good kid. Like she's just artistically likes to express herself and this is something she wants to do. So I thought about it and I was like, is that hurting anybody? It's not what I'm used to. I mean, I wasn't allowed to do that kind of stuff until I was an adult, but like, who cares? Right. I got over it. And the funny thing was, is like all of her freaking friends have their noses pierced. Like I really, I'm not even ahead of the curve, like in all these things, but like my kids, like we swear at each other all the time in a funny way. Obviously we're being funny, (laughs) but you know, but people would be like, oh, well, what if then, what if they go out in the world and do that? Like, but my kids understand that that's our family's sense of humor, but that we of course know that you don't go drop F-bombs. Yeah. But it also shows that, yeah, that they're comfortable. And like when you share stuff like that, like then they can come to you with hard conversations too. Like if you are the one who is like accepting of a nose piercing, of, you know, pink hair, purple hair, then you'll be accepting when they screw up because they're going to screw up. Right. And so like, okay, come to me then. Let's talk rather than this like hard line of like, do this. It also probably helps that you're sober. Oh, of course. Like how old were your kids when you stopped drinking? So my twins were 18 months old and my older one was four. In the five point harness. I was like, okay, so five point harness, they're, they're little. Okay. Yes. So what you're referring to is my, my bottom and going back to something that we were talking about before, which is that even though nothing bad had happened, but it was like that trying to moderate, trying to moderate. And I'd reached this point where I was like, moderating is too hard. I think what's going to be better for me and more healthy is just allowing myself to drink what I want, but just not doing anything dangerous. Like I was never drinking like four bottles of wine a night. I was like mm-hmm. drinking a bottle with my, I, I thought, let me just drink the way I want to at home. Yeah. Cause you were like, I think making rules around it is too, making it too much. Right. And like the focus is too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not able to do it. And then I'm always mad at myself because like, I'm like, I'm not going to drink Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then it's Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, but I have this one chance to go out to dinner with my friends. So like, I'll just have one glass of wine. And it was that constant bargaining with myself and (sighs) then going, okay, so if I do drink on Wednesday, then do I not drink on Thursday? Well, I'll just drink on Thursday since I was allowed to anyway. And then I'll go, but you know, it was that constant puzzle in my brain. 
Yes. And that mental load. Exhausting. So I reached this point where I was like, you know what? I'm just somebody who likes to drink. That's just me. What's the problem? I'm just an, I'm enthusiastic about drinking. I like yeah. it. It makes me feel good. So why be so self-punishing? And I did that for like a little while, but I was like, I will never like drink and drive, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get drunk in front of the kids, of course, like drinking after they go to bed. And I bring my kid, one of the, my twins at the time and my my older daughter to this like play date hangout thing. And it goes back to what we were talking about before, where it was like, oh my gosh, having some drinks and they were making martinis. And I was like, this is such a relief. This feels so good. I feel like myself. I feel like an adult. I'm talking to other adults. There was a nanny watching the other kids. I felt really good. And my husband had been, was trying to call me, which he did in those days a lot. I don't think I had a smartphone. So it was like the phone would just ring. But the point is I was like ignoring it because I'm like, dude, you have one baby. Like, can I have one night where I'm having fun? But of course my totally. husband knew like the way I drank. And even though yeah. he didn't think I had a problem, I think he was always like a little on edge of like what I was doing when I was yeah. out. I like it because you could see it from like both perspectives. You could see it from your perspective of like, dude, I'm out right now. Like, can I please just have, and I have two of the kids. I have two thirds of our kids with me, right? You have one third. You're fine. You're at home. Like you can handle this. Like I have two of the kids. Like, let me be. That's And then you can see it from his. Yeah. Of course, looking back, of course I can see both sides, but in my mind, I was very selfish. I was very, I truly didn't think I have to quit drinking. I thought people need to leave me alone about this. Like I'm fine. And always with alcohol, my thinking was always like, I feel good. I'm fine. I am not drunk. I was the queen of like, what? I'm not drunk at all. Like, Why I'm would fine. you even think that? That's crazy. You're crazy. How dare you? (laughs) Right. I am fine. It always reminds me of like Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio, even that was like Quaaludes or something coming home. And he's like, no, I made it home fine. And then you see, like, yeah, that's totally how it is. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the night, and I say this, believe me, I've cried making this admission many times. So do not think that Mm -hmm. by we're having a fun conversation, do not think that this was not incredibly serious to me. This is this is why I quit drinking. But yeah. I did put two of my kids in the car and drove them home drunk after a night of drinking martinis where I thought I was sober. And when I got home, it was, to be fair to me, it was like a five minute drive, if that. It was, I was very close to my house. But the fact is that my husband was in the driveway waiting for me and he was furious and he was like, you're drunk. And I was so mad at him not at myself. I was like, God, you are such a fun killer. Like that's how much I couldn't see my own behavior. And it wasn't until I woke up the next day, brutally hungover, that it was like, oh my God, not only have I done it again, the thing that I don't, that I'm get so humiliated about, which is accidentally drinking too much, not realizing that I got drunk and then waking up hungover. It got out of control again, but this time I acted dangerously. And Mm -hmm. my feeling was just 
of course I was, I felt humiliated. I was like, is this a nightmare? Like, did I really do that? You know, but it was so obvious to me. I just had such a moment of clarity where I was like, no, that was me. And obviously I did something under the influence of alcohol that I would never do sober, that I would judge so harshly another mom who did that. Right. You and I would be having cocktails talking about, can you believe that mom drove, she left that party drunk. Like who does that? But you say it's you, but it's not you without the alcohol, right? I always go back to like the, because I listen to a lot of true crime, like the prosecutors and stuff like that. And it's like, but for, right? Right. And so, but for the alcohol. So, because I think that this situation, I've heard it from like the women in our group, a lot. And like, there's a lot of shame, which is so understandable because it's what is most dear and important to you, right? And you just can't imagine being in the headspace of putting your kids in, in danger, right? And and making that decision. But that's not you without alcohol. But here's the difference. I don't have a mental illness. You know, maybe I was suffering from anxiety, depression. That's not really a mental illness. I wasn't like in a manic episode. I'm not bipolar, you know? So I was the one who drank and I was the one who could decide not to drink. So I put it together in my head that like, yes, that is behavior I would never do sober. Well, obviously, but like I would, I'm (laughs) a good mom. I'm a responsible mom. I wouldn't be careless with my kids, except that drinking made me careless with my kids. So to me, this is what I wrote about in the book, but I had this moment where I was like, I could tell my husband I'm never going to do that again. I will never do that again. I promise you. I was so scared. I was scared for my marriage. I was scared of how close I'd come to like something bad could have happened. But I thought if I go and I tell him that I'm 42 years old, how am I going to promise that I'm never going to do that again when I clearly don't make the best decisions? Once I've been drinking, all bets are off. So the only thing that I can do to defend myself from ever doing that again is to not drink. So that's right. what, that was how the decision was made. So in my mind, I was like, I don't think I'm an alcoholic because look at when a man loves a woman, look at all these stories that we've seen of like real alcoholism. Like I know I don't have that. Okay. Right. I also know that I don't want to drink if it means I can't trust myself. And that was a big crossroads. Cause it was like, I can't do all the math in my head. I don't necessarily want to just be joining like 12 step meetings for the rest of my life and having to just like call myself an alcoholic forever. Like that seems so sad and awful but all I know is I don't want to drink and I don't know how to not drink because I've, I've only known how to drink. Me going, I'm not going to drink anymore is never stuck. So I knew I needed to do something different. And I knew that if I didn't do something or take some kind of action, that eventually the shame of having driven drunk was going to wear off. Mm-hmm. And I was going to rationalize it again and go, that was crazy. But that's because I was really stressed because my kids were so young. Like, and I was being poor drinks and I didn't know how much I'd had. And I was, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and all Yeah, these you could excuses. come up with so many excuses, right? You can't end rationalizations and like why that won't happen again. Oh yeah. That was martinis. I don't normally drink martinis. Right. Yeah. My body obviously doesn't process vodka well. Right. Right. It's a vodka. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just need to stick to wine. Wine has always been right. so good to me. That I could have so easily done that. Yes. And actually, and your husband was like, well, I don't think, right? You kind of had to convince him like, no, I I need to stop. That's where the man loves a woman reference came in. Yeah. Because, yes. because remember Meg Ryan's husband was like, no, you don't need this. This is crazy. Like you're doing too much. You're fun. Yes. yes. My husband was definitely like, listen, you get really stressed. You're not an alcoholic, but I think that you just need to like not drink and drive anymore. <laughs> like you right. just don't thing. do that again. Don't do that thing. Well, and it, Yes. It it just shows that even the people that we are most intimate with and our partners who we share lives with don't know the struggle and the internal struggle that we are going through when it comes to alcohol. Like we're just taught not to share that until we want to like profess like, yes, I'm an alcoholic and I'm powerless forever. Like we're just taught not to share it. Like, no, figure it out. Yes. It's an, it's embarrassing like to think, oh, I can't control this thing. Right. That is like very uncontrollable. For a lot of people. Yes. Especially if you have addiction in your family. There's a lot of components. And I say at the end of the book, the last chapter is my favorite chapter that I wrote in the book, by the way. It's called Sorry About Your Bachelorette Party, which is the first time I really apologized for some past behavior. Yeah. was some real bad behavior that I shined up and was like, this wasn't so bad. That was just like me (laughs) being fun in my 20s. No, it was pretty bad. But, you know, the fact is that like, whether it's your childhood, whether it's like you had a parent who was addicted, whether it doesn't really matter what the reason is at the end of the day. If alcohol is a problem in your life, you can either do something about it or not. But I definitely had addiction in my family. My father was a pill addict. He was a full-on drug addict. Maybe I have the gene for addiction. I mean, I think I behaved addictively from a really young age, but it's like, when do you want to acknowledge, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I call myself an alcoholic or like I have a substance use disorder or I'm just not good with alcohol or whatever. It is easier for me and obviously for you to make the choice to not drink. However you want to do it, whether you want to go to like a 12-step meeting or you want to just read some self-help books or go to church or, you know, run marathons. If alcohol isn't serving you, like I want to give people permission to not do it. Yes. I couldn't have said it better. That's like my whole mission here is like, no matter what your bottom is, no matter what you call yourself, no matter your history, no matter anything, like you qualify, like you qualify for a full life without alcohol. And it's not this like deprivation mindset of like, I lost this privilege. It's only going to feel like that at first because it does. Yes. But I reached this point, I had this sort of epiphany when I was in a meeting and I was so annoyed and I was like, these people are so boring and like all these stupid slogans and I hate this and this sucks. (laughs) And like, why can't I be able to drink like everybody else? And I was, oh my God, I was having the biggest pity party for myself. And it hit me. I was like, I'm not court ordered here. Like I made a decision myself because alcohol wasn't serving me because drinking had me believe I wasn't drunk, which had me do something dangerous. Like that was my choice. So I can either sit here and curse my life for, oh, I can't drink, or I could figure out how to be happy without drinking. 
and utilize the support that I'm being given. Do you know what I mean? Or find another meeting that's more fun. Yeah. No one's making you do this. No one was making me do it. Like I was doing it to myself for myself. I really think my thinking shifted at that moment. That's when I was like, it doesn't really matter. Like, I think I am an alcoholic because that's what I want to call it because that is a label that I actually think I can live with because it means I can't drink. Right. Right. And so that like motivates you. Yeah. That was like, okay, once I accept the fact that like alcoholism has a lot of looks to it, you can't always see it from the outside. It's what I feel inside. Drinking makes me feel sad and it's not help. It doesn't help me. And it makes me do things that are beneath my moral compass. So that must be alcoholism. I'm unpredictable. How I define alcoholism is that I'm unpredictable. I don't know if I'm going to have two glasses of wine or if I'm going to have two bottles of wine. I don't know. I can't predict it from the beginning. And therefore, I'm not real trustworthy when I'm letting myself drink, you know? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the same for me with sugar, though. So I relate to I feel it personally attacked. I've been off sugar again for like four you months. You have? Yeah. But because I don't know if I'm going to eat one brownie or if I'm going to eat the whole pan of brownies and feel sick to my stomach. It is. It's like there's no governor and I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop until I feel sick. Right. And like, I'm like, why? And it's an addiction. That's why. But yes, this is what I'm working through. I just started sweating. (laughs) Cause it's so hard and it's really painful. And I mean, I miss it every day. And I used to rationalize that so much because I'd be like, well, you can't get pulled over for driving on cake, you know? I know. If you could, I'd be in the pokey. (laughs) If you could. (laughs) We'd be doing this interview like, you know, behind a plastic. Yeah, behind bars. (laughs) In orange. Like, okay. (laughs) Pound cake? You too? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I'm in again. Oh my God. I can't say enough good about this book. I'm going to have it be so we have a book club every month. This will be our March book. So, oh, yay. Thank you. Stephanie, thank you so much. I can't, I can't thank you enough for writing this book and for coming on here. Tell everybody where we can find you. I have a website, stephaniewildertaylor.com, Stephanie with an F. That lists, I also teach memoir writing classes if you're interested in that. Oh, nice. It's just for women learning how to tell your story. And you can find that under classes on my website. I have some podcasts and the book I have for crying out loud is my main podcast. It's like a parenting podcast. And then the book anywhere, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target.com, all the places. Yeah. Good. Okay. We'll link it in the show notes too. So you, you. It's just a one click. Go buy it, you guys. It's so good. And Stephanie, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. 
My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.